Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the day that you've given us, for the song that you've placed in our hearts, the testimony that we have on our lips this morning, all because of you, all because of what you have accomplished on our behalf, because of your love for the Father, for your obedience to the cross, even to death. But we thank you for dying in our place. We thank you for giving us your righteousness and taking away our sin. And Lord, I pray that as you have your way among your people this morning, Lord, that we would be more like Christ. Have your way here this morning. I pray that we would see you. I pray that we would hear you. And I pray, Lord, that we would say yes. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In staff this morning, we talked a little bit about some of the happenings up in Wilmore, Kentucky. I don't know if you've seen any reports of this. There is the Asbury University up in Asbury or up in Wilmore, Kentucky. And beginning with a chapel service on this past Wednesday, God showed up. And the spirit began to move, and they are still in service this morning. Uh, They're calling it a spiritual awakening. Uh, When I say they, I say anyone who's reporting on it, they're saying this is a spiritual awakening. It happened in 1970 at that same location. I mentioned that to say uh, it's not uncommon for us to look at something like that skeptically, that in the end we'll see if it was real or not because we will see changed hearts and changed lives. But what a place for it to begin. But among our young people, that can change the world. And I am excited even at the hint that revival is coming. Now, let me just share with you my heart on this because here's our tendency is we pray when we see something like that. We pray that that continues to move across the land. We want that to happen. But are you praying that for yourself today? Are you praying for the spirit to move in you today? To such an extent that the priorities of this life take a back seat and only Jesus is in the forefront. Are you, are you willing to pray that today? That Lord, if it be so, may it happen here. We don't have to leave at 10 or 10, 15. We don't have to walk out the doors if God is at work. Are you, are you expecting God to work in that way? See, I know that he can, but it has to be received by his people. And as Tom Richter said this week, God's people love to respond to God. And what, what a way to look at this, this today. And I pray that, uh, that we would be open to ourselves. My specific prayer this morning before coming out is that we would discard our religion, we would discard our tradition, and we would just sit before the Lord. What does he desire of us? What does he want to accomplish in us? What is he doing in you? What does he need you to do to be more like him? And that we would answer that. Today, many of our folks in the United States will be tuning in to watch the Super Bowl. 
The Super Bowl is between the Kansas City Chiefs and Philadelphia Eagles today. And I speak those words as if I'm an expert. Is there anyone else who had to look it up this week of who's playing in the Super Bowl? Um, so evidently there are 32 teams. There's the American Conference, the National Conference, and the best of both come together. And now it's the National Championship. And I was thinking through that, that um, wouldn't it be odd that we come to this day in the Super Bowl and every player from every team shows up on the field? And the coaches walk down and they alternately pick out one. I'll take this one. And the other one says, well, I'll take that one and this one and that one. And they put a team together to play the Super Bowl. Now, that does not make sense. But it might make sense if you're playing a pickup game of basketball or a neighborhood game of football. You can do that. But when you're in an organized sport, it does not work that way because the coach has a plan. And that's what we see in the world of sports today. There is a coach. He wants to develop each player to form a team. And he'll do that through practice. And he'll do it through discipline. And he'll do it through trust. He'll do it through encouragement. He'll do it through fear in some cases. But if the players follow the coach's leadership, they will become who he knew they could be. The number of wins certainly are important to the coach. But here are the questions that a good coach will be asking. Are they doing what I've asked them to do? Are they becoming a team together? Are they reaching their potential? Now, I I introduce football, and in this capacity, because I see a relationship to the church. Not that we're in a a championship game today, but over the past weeks, we've studied the foundations of becoming a great church. We learned that God has a plan. He has a plan for his church. And in a way, unlike any can be done, God takes individual members and he assimilates them into a body And he trains them, he encourages them, he teaches them, and he commands them that if they will follow, they become a unit, the church, and they become effective with the mission God has given them. That he will accomplish his work for his glory when we come together and we follow his leadership. Through the Bible, God provides all of these for us. So when we look at the decision to obey, which we're all faced with every time we open up God's word, we're all faced with the decision to obey. The decision to obey, listen, it it has nothing to do with our personal preferences, but everything to do with I want to be more like Jesus. Do you hear that? Because if you say yes, you're saying I want to be more like Jesus. If you say no, you say I want to be the enemy of Jesus. And you're like, that's too harsh. No, it's not. If Jesus says come this way and you go that way, you're the enemy. You're going away from him. But if he's saying come to me, child, and you come to him, you'll experience exactly what he desires for you in this time. This morning we're going to look at the first 
kingdom result of following God's plan to become more like Christ. When I mentioned obedience, I'm not just speaking generally. I'm I'm actually tying this into what we've looked at in the past weeks. Are you being obedient in fellowship? Is your fellowship with God so close that it impacts your fellowship with other believers? Your obedience in prayer, your obedience in worship, your obedience in discipleship, your obedience in prayer. Are you doing what God is leading us to do to become a great church? Otherwise, we've just spent six weeks talking about what it might look like if we obeyed. But if we're not saying, therefore I obey, then nothing has changed. We just got a little smarter about what God wants. So our, our decision today is, do I do what God desires of his church to become the greater church? Or am I content with being who I am today? For a better understanding, this kingdom result is to become like Christ. And you might say, well, I want to be like Christ. Good, me too. That means we have to do the things that he teaches us to do. We do the things that he has commanded us to do. And collectively, we do the things that he says the church is about because he is in charge. He is the Lord. We're going to look at three passages today to gain a better understanding. If you want to stick your finger in in those areas or stick a bulletin in there, we'll be in Romans chapter 8. First, and then we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and then in 1 John chapter 3. That's listed in your outline if you just want to follow that this morning. Romans chapter 8 is where we will begin. Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. Romans 8, beginning with verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Number one in your outline, God's design from the beginning. God's design from the beginning. Now, Romans 8.28 is a popular verse, and it's often misused or misquoted as a general application to life. So the first thing that we have to be careful about is not to interpret verse 28 to say that life becomes easy for those who follow Jesus. That is incorrect. In fact, your life will probably be more difficult if you follow Jesus, and especially if you do what he says to do. The second thing that we need to to point out, the underlying meaning of those who love God. 
And you might sit here this morning and say, well, I love God. I love God too. But how do you show your love for God? See, Jesus explains in John 14 what it means to love him. And that is to do what he says. So we can say we love God, but unless we're following his instruction to become more like Christ, do we really love him? See, love is an action, not just words that come out of my mouth as an expression of an emotion. So as a result of who he is, I am compelled to obey him, compelled to follow him. For those who have answered God's call for salvation and are living according to his commands, God uses all circumstances for his glory and our good. That's what it's saying. You might might say, well, I, I don't like the fact that I've got bad circumstances. Well, I don't like bad circumstances either. I don't like painful circumstances. I don't like circumstances where I, I feel like I'm out of control. But God, if I'm following God, he says, I can use every circumstance to glorify myself. Will you follow me? Will you be glorified? Will I be glorified in you? There are some words in verse 29 I want to touch on often. Well, the reason why is because we often just avoid them. But I I want to touch on them practically so that we are not uh, confused. There's much debate over these words and their inherent meaning as it relates to the content of the Bible. But I want to just share with you this morning some of the... um, the concerns maybe that others might have. So verse 29, let me reread that. For those whom he foreknew and he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now some will read that verse and say, wait just a minute. It it says that God knew beforehand who was going to be saved. That's not fair. It's not fair. Like, It's not fair for you, not fair for me. Is is that what we're saying? It's not fair that God would know these things. Well, let me remind you, Jeremiah 29, 11, we seem to agree with this, that God knows the plan he has for us. We're okay with that. Psalm 139, 16 says, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That means it was all mapped out before I was born. And yet we don't have a problem with that. But for some reason, we take issue with God's foreknowledge of our salvation. Let me just say this. God's foreknowledge of what you and I would do does not rob us of choosing what to do. He just already knows. So let me share with you why God's foreknowledge does not bother me today. And I pray it doesn't bother you either. You might want to write this down. God is not like us. Right? I am grateful for that. That is an amen. I am thankful God is not like us. If I were God, this is what I would do. You cross me, you're gone. You cross me, you're gone. That's the way I would do it. I am thankful for God's mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. 
So he is not like us. That's our, our foundation. And here's the other part. God exists beyond the constraints of time. Now, this is mind-bending when we even try to consider this. How do we know he exists beyond the constraints of time? We'll go to Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created. Well, who created the beginning? Well, God did. How do you create something if you're not above it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is eternal. Now, we cannot grasp that. We can say it. We can sing about it. We can study it. But we will not grasp it because we have the limitation of time. We have all experienced yesterday. Today, we experience it as it unfolds. Tomorrow, we cross our fingers. We hope we have it. That's all we can do. And so to apply any kind of an understanding, we cannot fathom what it is to experience life outside of time. How can God simultaneously see my birth, my death, and everything in between? He is different, isn't he? He is God Almighty. He is Yahweh. He is the beginning and the end. He knows all things. How can God witness Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. How can he witness that and Revelation 22 where Jesus proclaims, I am the Alpha and the Omega? How does he do that? Because he's not like us. He is the eternal past, he's the eternal present, he's the eternal future. And when he says in his word, your ways are not my ways, your thoughts are not my thoughts, he's not joking. We have no idea of who he is. He is God. And in his infinite presence, should we not fall before him in worship? Should we not be compelled to lay at his feet? He knows all things. Listen, he knows of the oppression of the Israelites in Egypt more than 3,000 years ago and the burden that's on your heart right now. He knows it together. He knows the very thought you have at this moment and the moment King Jesus returns. He sees it all at the same time. So with God's foreknowledge, you and I should be comforted, not afraid, not feeling that it's unfair. We should be comforted for a God to have that kind of knowledge with that kind of wisdom. We should be excited and comforted knowing that we can come to him and ask him for help and to ask him for guidance and to obey his commands because he knows best his glory and our good. We don't know what's the best. I have made such a series of bad decisions in my life. I don't know what's best. And even based on my experiences, I can't tell you what is best. But I know that he can because he can see all things. He is all powerful and he is all knowing. The other word that can be bothersome is predestined. That means to pre-plan. Do not confuse this word with foreknowledge. 
According to these verses, God did not decide beforehand who would be saved. He knew beforehand who would be saved, but he predestined something else for those who would be saved. And that's the way we look at it. What did he predestine? Say so he foreknew you would be saved. And for those who God foreknew and who chose to love him, he predestined them, he preplanned for them to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the plan. Anyone, and we would say anyone, whoever that might be, but he would say anyone that I see and know will choose me. My plan for you is to become like my son, to be more like Jesus. You take a quick look at verse 30. We see that God also preplanned that we would be justified. To be justified means your, your account has been erased and it's just as if I'd never sinned. And he also said, we'll be glorified. I am so thankful that he predestined that I would be justified and glorified in him for, with, with him for eternity. I'm so thankful that he pre-planned that for those who love him and are called to his purpose. Have you ever asked, what is God's will for me? I know I have. I've asked that question. What's God's will for my life? If I just knew what his will was for me, I would do it. I would be all in. I would be surrendered. Well, we look here. This is it. His will for you is to answer his call, to surrender to his lordship and allow him to conform you to the image of his son. That's his will. Yeah, we, we like the, the, the personal material, don't we? I mean, what's, what woman am I going to marry? Or what guy am I going to marry? Well, that's what I want to know. I, where am I going to live? What am I going to do? And God said, don't let that get in the way. I want you to be my son. I want you to look just like him. I want you to act just like him wherever you are. I want you to be like my son. We surrender to him for that. So from eternity past, God's design was for those who love him would be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. The second passage we want to look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. So just turn over a few pages to your right. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. I'll make mention of some of the previous content, but beginning with verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. The reality of our lives is that we're born with hardened hearts. 
our nature's default position is not obedience to Christ and heaven. Our default position is rebellion against God and eternal death. So we turn from God. We resist him. The rebellion that we have in our hearts is like a veil. And it's a veil against truth and understanding. And so what we are left with is we have this veil and we determine our own reality. And we live deceived. If you want to see a picture of that, some of you may be experiencing it now, but just look around. Look at the world. Up is down, down is up, right is wrong, wrong is right. We've created our own reality. This is what truth is. And let me just be clear. Anything outside God's teaching is not truth. It's something we have manufactured. God is truth. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. He is the truth. Anything outside of his teaching, anything that goes against what he says is not truth. But that's what our culture is cultivating today. They want us to follow them. They want us to have the priorities they have. They want us to be lenient on them. But that's not what Jesus said. So we live deceived in this way. Verses 16 and 17 But when one turns to the Lord, who is the Spirit, the veil is removed, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So listen, we we understand that the default position is rebellion and resistance. The default position is creating our own realities, living deceived. But it says here, but until you turn to the Lord, you only have an illusion of freedom. You think you're in control and and you think you can work things out for yourself. Perhaps you think you're better than most people and deserve to have eternal life in heaven. That you deserve to be welcomed in the heavenly gates because of who you are. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus describes such people. They believed in Jesus. They were about the business of Jesus. And they tried to secure their heavenly home through works and knowledge. But their hearts were veiled. Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, it's true that you must know Jesus. And it's true that you must be about the work of Jesus, but you must first trust him as Lord. If you don't know him as Lord, it doesn't matter what you do. If you don't know him as Lord, your attendance is great. We appreciate you being here, but it does nothing for eternity. If you do not know Jesus as Lord, it does not matter how many mission trips you've been on. It doesn't matter how much you've written in checks to the church and to missions. It does not matter your eternity unless you know him as Lord. It begins there. It's the quality of that relationship. This act of surrender identifies you with Christ. It identifies you as a child of God. And that act of surrender to him as Lord will make you known as his. 
There's nothing else we can do. We don't get to add in another line that says, or you can do this. There's one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Some of you here this morning might be veiled still. You're living an illusion But if you turn to the Lord, he removes the veil and you can see what is. You can see the truth. You can submit to the truth. Verse 18 says, beholding the glory of God. And when I first read that, I I thought of the shepherds out in the fields at night when the the angel came and, and announced the birth of the Savior who is for all people and the glory of the Lord shone around them. That's the beauty, the, the, um, uh, the, the, uh, I can't even put it into words. Uh, the overwhelming presence of the glory of God. It would have overtaken the darkness of the night. But when reading this, beholding the glory of God, speaking of those who have turned to him, that is meaning to see the glory of God in the mirror as a reflection. Now that means something a whole lot more than what I thought it meant at the beginning. Beholding the glory of God. And I would just say, church, you're not only a testimony of what God can do in this world today, but you are also a, a evidence of his presence in you. You also show the glory of God to those around you. You are the light and the darkness, not because of your efforts, but because of who is in you, who is living in you, and who is living through you. Beholding the glory of God. As looking into the mirror, you see him. And so when we look into the mirror, do you see more of Christ than you did before? Do you know him? Are are others seeing more of Christ in you today? The following words in that verse can be translated as, you're going through a metamorphosis forever reflecting more and more of God's glory. The word metamorphosis, same as that what we would use today. That is uh, the description, for instance, of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It, It is a permanent change. It is an evident change that does not go back. So when we look at our walk with Christ, we we look, are we being uh, transformed into the image of God? Transformed means I I can't go back. You, You can't catch a butterfly, pull off his wings and say, you're a caterpillar again. You can't do that. You can't unmetamorphosize something. So when we have been transformed by God into the image of his son, that's something we can't go back from. It will continue to build in our lives. And that's why we behold the glory of God. That's why we're being changed from one glory to another, to greater and greater degree, to look like Jesus today. I'll just say, if you want to, to be changed today. If you want to be transformed today, it gives us the answer. How do we do this? And it says, turn to Jesus. That's the only way because it's the Lord's work, not ours. So often we try to take that burden on our own. Well, I'll try to do better this time. I'll try to hold my tongue this time. I'll try not to cuss anymore. I'll try to behave better out in the world. When people make me angry, I'll try to be nicer. And we, we start listing all these things that we must do to look better. But 
God is the one who does the work inside that changes our behavior. Do you want to be changed? Do you want to be transformed this morning? The answer is to turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus in school. Turn to Jesus at work. Turn to Jesus in your marriage and in your family. Turn to Jesus in your sports. Wherever you are, turn to Jesus and allow him to transform you. Now, when we say this, this is not to take our hands off the wheel. We still have an element of responsibility of life. When you come across... um, the impression of God. Perhaps you've heard him if you were here for revival services this week or you've rewatched those or think through some devotion or, or times where you have met with the Lord and you're very clear on what he's saying to you. What would you do this morning if you heard God say, when you turn away from trying to gain worth in relationships, when you turn away from trying to fix everyone else, when you turn away from self-medicating through drugs, when you turn away from trying to work your way to heaven and gain God's approval, when you turn away from these things, I will then accomplish in you what I desire. What do you do with that? It's true. What is your response? And again, you'll either say, yes, I will turn away and I want to be more like Christ or no, I want to be more like God's enemy. I want to stay just the way I am. I want to follow my nature and the way I was born. That's the way I want to stay. And if that's the case, you're contributing to a church who wants to be more like Christ. And if you're holding back, that's one more that's not going to be like Christ. And that's losing our effectiveness in the world today. We all need to be on board with what God is saying. If we're not following what God is saying, listen, we are not following God. If we're not doing what God commands, we're simply gathering together to sing a few songs and listen to a God talk. I'm more interested in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives. That we walk out changed because we've been in his presence. Because of the power of the word. And we yield ourselves to him. So he pre-planned that those who are saved would be like Christ. And then we're reminded here in this passage, he is transforming us into the image of Christ as we obey him. Let's look at the third one. So we're presently being changed. Number three, this is 1 John 3, 1 through 3, God's design for our future. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. God's design for our future. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. 
Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So God's designed for our future. And I wonder if we could just come together right now and just be in awe of God's love for us. Things that we already know, but let me just remind you that God desires all to be saved because he loves you. That God made a way for all to be saved because he loves you. That God foreknew those who would cry out to him to be saved and he loves you. Can we be in awe of the love of God that surpasses all understanding, that loves us when we're the most unlovable, that loves us when we are acting as his enemy, that loves us when we're in rebellion, that loves us when we're in rejection, that loves us when we're disobedient, that he still loves us. Why? Because it's not an emotion that he has to muster up for you and me. He is love to an infinite degree. In fact, for those of us who know him as Lord and Savior, we'll spend eternity with him. And for eternity, we will continue to discover the depth and the width of God's love because that's who he is. We will be in forever worship of him. Can we delight in the fact that God loves us so much that while we were his enemies, he sent his son so that we could be saved? Can we just celebrate that for a moment? Can we be amazed that those who have turned to him are are called his children? God's children, co-heirs with Jesus. Can we be amazed that we know our history? We know what we've done in the past. We know how we've hurt others. We know how we've cursed God. We know how we have ignored him. But in spite of all of that, if we choose to love him, if we turn to him, he says, you're my child. Forever in his grip. We are his children. Oh, how marvelous. (laughs) Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Scripture there says we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. Do you know what that means? And, And this is just a gift for you this morning. God is not finished with you yet. God is not finished with me yet. We will be continually transformed into the image of Christ until Christ returns. It's a process that we're involved in right now. We are a work in progress, not an unfinished project. If you are like me, I'm ill-equipped in many areas of handiwork, and I have many unfinished jobs, forgotten, neglected. You're not an unfinished work. You're a work in progress, and that is something to celebrate. A work in progress will continue until it's complete. That's what God does in us. And what he began, he will finish. When we see Jesus, 
When we see him, we will be finished. We will be complete. That reflection will be just like him in us. That's a day to look forward to, isn't it? I love what Tom Richter said Tuesday night. He said, God's appeal to follow him is not to take something away from you. His appeal to follow him is that he has something to give you. He wants to give you his son. He wants you to leave the old life and experience the new life. The life of the grave, the life of death to be left behind so that we can experience the life that he offers through Jesus Christ. So recognized as his own, you and I will be like Christ. Now, I just wanted to make a a kind of a a side comment here because verse 3 sounds like it is an effort's uh, work for us to purify ourselves. So let me give you a process that I believe will represent this. Since the veil has been lifted, when we turn to him, the veil has been lifted. We know right from wrong. We know what the reality is. We will continually become more aware of our sins. The more we know about him, the more we are aware of ourselves and the separation between the two. And with that awareness, we turn to Jesus. You see, the awareness of your sin is not to beat you up for your sin. It's so that you can turn away from it. So when he, when you are understanding an area of your life that is not surrendered to Christ, when you understand an area of your life that is in rebellion to Christ, he's not showing that to you with conviction that you would feel badly when you leave. He's given you an opportunity to come. Come, be like me, turn away from that activity, turn away from that thought process, and come to the truth of Jesus Christ. And when we turn to him, listen, he satisfies our needs. He satisfies the emptiness that we have. We've been looking everywhere else, but he is the one who will satisfy. And as we do that, turning to him, he reveals more of himself in us. And that is the the process of being purified, becoming more like him. Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Well, let me just ask. I mean, we've kind of looked at God's design. So before the beginning, God's design was for you and I to be conformed to Christ. His current design today is to be transformed into his image. And the end game is that we will be exactly like Jesus. Do you agree with his plan? Do you agree with his design this morning? Yes or no? All right. One third of the church agrees with God's plan. Listen, if we agree that God's plan and his design is perfect, Since he pre-planned that you would be conformed to the image, he's currently transforming you into the image. And that one day he will complete his work in you that you will reflect the image of Christ perfectly. Since we know that that is his plan, we've seen that in God's word. What is your response this morning? What must happen today for God's perfect design to be realized in you? It's great to know this. It's great to know where the references are that we can look at it again. But what does it mean to you today? 
What is your response? Yes, I want to be more like Christ or no, I want to be more like his enemy. There is not an in-between here. What must you turn from to be more like Christ today? What must you surrender to be more like Christ today? What must you begin to be more like Christ today? And each answer begins with the quality of your relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. To be more clear, if you have not turned to him for salvation, it doesn't matter what you want. You've already chosen. You've chosen to be the enemy of God. But until you turn to him, you will always be that way. But when you turn to him, the veil is removed. You're a child of God. And maybe that's your decision today. I need to be right in relationship before I can start becoming what God desires for me. Before I can follow his design, I have to, I have to be in relationship with him. He must be my Lord and Savior. We know God's word. And I'm sure you do too. You've heard it before that, that God loved you so much that he sent his only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but they would have eternal life. That's an invitation to everybody. 30 years later, he, he died on a cross. He was put in a tomb and raised again on the third day. He overcame death. He made the payment. And now he offers life to you and me. If you are veiled this morning, I pray that you would turn to him, that the veil would be removed. So have you turned to him for salvation? Secondly, have you committed to living for him? Not just a commitment to say I'm a Christian, not just a commitment to attend worship services. Do you commit to live for him? What area of your life must you surrender to him that he is the Lord over that part of your life? That relationship, that occupation, that, that uh, plan for your school and career. What area, your dating life, what have you not surrendered to him this morning that you need to, to be more like Christ? Are you listening to him now? Do you hear his word? Have you heard him throughout the message? I've, I've thrown out words, but more importantly, did you hear what God had to say through his word to you? And will you say yes to him this morning? I began speaking about the, the university in Kentucky, that, that there's an outpouring of the spirit. That they are worshiping, they're singing, they're playing music. They're lying on, on their faces in the aisle. But they're giving testimony to what God has done in their lives. They're confessing and they are repenting. See, so that's where we yield to the Spirit. The conservative side of us say, I could never do that. I could never walk in front of the church. I would be so embarrassed. What would they think if I had been a member of this church for 60 years and come forward to be saved? I will be kicked out of this place. Uh, let me answer for the church. No. We will celebrate with you. 
We will love you and we will disciple you. The most important thing that happens in these next few minutes is what am I going to do with what God said to me? And will you do that today? I pray that our response would show that we are a group of people who want to be more like Christ. Whatever that looks like. The the altar will be open. I'll be here in the front if you need to talk with me. If you just need to grab someone and pray with them, do that. But be free in your response to the Lord today. I want to lead us in prayer. Ryan and Mike's going to lead us in, in a song here in just a few moments. And that'll be your time to respond. If God's already laying it on your heart, don't try to argue it away right now. Do what God says to do. Heavenly Father, we come here, Lord, just in your presence, in the presence of your word, understanding your truth. Lord, you are so clear to us. Forgive us for our rebellion. Lord, I pray that we would respond to you today in a way that would honor you, that we would become more like your son. If we've not begun that process, may today be the beginning of being conformed to Jesus. If we've turned away from you along the way and we've kind of gotten lost along the way, I pray that today would be the day that we begin that transformation to look like Jesus. As we set our hope and our gaze to the end, when we see him face to face, your work will be complete in us. And we will be with you forevermore. For those who are lost, I pray that they would be found today. They respond to you. Those who are wayward, I pray that they would turn and come back. Lord, have your way with us here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.